She made the first serious place for women in newspapers. Before her day, women journalists had only been able to cover fashion and society pages, theatre and concert reviews. Um, But Nellie created the first real place for women as regular members of the newspaper's staff. Author Louisa Traeger is here to discuss Mad Woman, her anticipated novel about pioneering journalist Nellie Bly. You're listening to Real Fiction. I'm Lori Messing McGarry. Real Fiction Radio Program is a production of Real Fiction Media Group. The program airs on WERA 96.7 FM in Arlington, Virginia, and wherever you get your podcasts. On Real Fiction, I speak with journalists, novelists, and changemakers to discuss the real and imaginary forces that fuel stories, reportage, and social impact. I'll be back in a moment with Louisa Traeger. Author Louisa Traeger is here to discuss her new novel, Mad Woman, an historical account of the pioneering journalist Nellie Bly, who famously was able to document conditions in an asylum on Blackwell's Island in New York. Mad Woman is Traeger's third novel. It will be published in the United States in August. This story is astonishingly timely to read and consider given current challenges in the profession of journalism and also the state of mental health conditions around the world. Mad Woman has already received glowing praise as a best book of summer. Joining me from London to discuss this new novel is Louisa Traeger, and I am so delighted to be able to say welcome back to Real Fiction, Louisa. Thank you, Laurie. I'm thrilled to be back. I have been sort of stalking this book since I heard about it, that it was in the works when we had our first conversation in 2019. And I was thinking about that conversation because we were discussing at that time your novel, The Dragon Lady, and we talked about an emerging pattern of write, of your writing. You like to write about women who were a bit lost to history, but you've really flipped the script with Mad Woman because you're bringing into, into focus the life of the famous pioneering journalist of the 19th century, Nellie Bly. And she was became famous for a number of things in her life, but you focus on the time of her life early in her journalism career in which she was able to expose the horrors of an asylum. And it was on Blackwell's Island, just off, uh, just off of Manhattan. Now, having said that, your main characters in your previous novels are similar in that Nellie Bly always played by unconventional rules. So I'd love to know what, what drew you to write about Nellie Bly? 
Well, it all began with a question from a friend who knew that I'm a diehard fan of trailblazing women. And she also knew that I was on the hunt for a subject for a new novel. And she said to me, have you heard about Nellie Bly? She's the sort of woman you write about. I hadn't, but I went away to research Nellie and was instantly hooked. And I, I knew that I had my muse for my next novel. And I think what really gripped me was wondering what kind of person could have done something like that, you know, fooled police, doctors, a judge, um, to get committed to a quite brutal institution, even though she had no guarantee of when she'd get out or if she'd get out. Yeah, and I think um, it's interesting that you say you hadn't heard of her because I, I think in the United States, there's there's just this sort of awareness of Nellie Bly because she was an American journalist. But I think very few readers of this novel, very few um, sort of Nellie Bly fans would know much, if anything, about her early life. And there's a wonderful treatment of that in the first part of the book, which really sets up um, the question of what was her lived experience that led her to want to work in journalism? You know, you've just nailed one of my major kind of preoccupations while I was writing, was how her early life shaped her to become the person she was. And, you know, how she a achieved such extraordinary feats, probably because of her background rather than despite it. And I'll just tell you a bit about her childhood, which was very traumatic. Probably the defining moment was the sudden collapse and death of her father. One minute he was an upright presence in their lives, and the next he was a vegetable. And even worse, he died without making a proper will. So his family were left, you know, in, in what was known as distressed circumstances. And Nellie's mother remarried, but the second husband was a violent drunk, you know, which really tore them all apart. And um, Nellie's mother um, collapsed at one point. She just broke down. She couldn't take it anymore. Um, and, you know, she could have been committed to an asylum in that state, but she wasn't. And Nellie was a survivor. And, you know, she learned to cope with her stepfather and to, you know, get by without things that she'd been used to before. And she also learned, I think, the importance of, you know, self-reliance, that, you know, only she could look after herself and her emotional well-being. I think that was another important lesson that her childhood gave her. Yeah. And in the introduction, you frame up how you wanted to think about things like mania and hysteria. Yes. The terms lunatic and maniac are, uh, you know, are, are, t are touchy words today. They have a lot of um, negative 
connotations. Um, but at that time, they were used rather uh, just, just rather, almost rather casually. But I think that what you have said is that in her life, she witnessed her mother um, going to what we might call the brink in a violent marriage. You know, Nellie and her siblings were pushed to the brink as well. And one other thing um, I wanted to mention was that as a child, Nellie had brushes with insomnia. And apparently started like hallucinating in the daytime just because she had such a active imagination. And, and the doctor came and prescribed a sedative and sort of said, you know, does she read too much? And I thought so. And, you know, not good for young girls kind of thing. But she, she, yeah, all, all of this informed her social preoccupations for sure. I really love discussing journalists from a historical perspective on this program because, you know, I, I think it's a reminder that these tensions in storytelling, journalism, bias, lived experience are with us today and they've been with us for a very long time. When, when you were working on this book, did it change how you view the profession of journalism, how you might look at deep investigative reports? Well, what I thought was that Nellie Bly was making up the rules as she went along. She was, you know, the first female investigative journalist and she kind of paved the way for all the others. And I think her reporting was very subjective. And, you know, I, I think it would, you know, some of her methods would be frowned on today, but what she did was extraordinary. And she also, um, she made the first serious place for women in newspapers. Before her day, women journalists had only been able to cover fashion and society pages, theatre and concert reviews. Um, but Nellie created the first real place for women as regular members of the newspaper's staff. And her articles also catalyzed a new journalistic movement known as stunt or detective reporting, which is the acknowledged forerunner of investigative journalism. Um, and I think she had a huge impact just doing research. I discovered that she had a huge impact on generations of journalists on both sides of the Atlantic. It's amazing to read about her path to getting to New York City. She started uh, her journalism career in Pittsburgh and uh, reported on the conditions of women working in factories and then felt like that Pittsburgh was a little small for her and made her way to New York City and landed in the office of Joseph Pulitzer. Um, and you've just recounted what women journalists were doing at that time, what they were covering. So it's pretty uh, shocking that Pulitzer championed her. Yes. Well, can I just backtrack a bit and say that she couldn't get a newspaper to employ her in New York. So she was down to her last dime and rather desperate. But she also knew that she would have to do something so daring and so extreme to find a way into this male-dominated industry. And I think Pulitzer sensed you know, that there was some spark in her that set her apart. And I think that's why he agreed to, um, you know, support this covert operation. Again, I want to remind listeners that my guest today is 
author Louisa Traeger. We are discussing her third new novel, Mad Woman, which will be published in the United States. And it is it brings into focus the pioneering journalist Nellie Bly, who is, I think, pretty well known to US audience, but certainly not the backstory and so many of the meticulously researched um, details that come through in this novel. So Joseph Pulitzer agrees to uh, Nellie's idea, um, which is to get herself committed to um, an asylum. It's called the, and correct me if I get this a little wrong, the Lunatic Asylum on Blackwell Island, which is just off um, Manhattan. Um, tell us about um, the process that Nellie went through to get herself committed and how how one gets to that island. Tell us a little something about the geography and, and, and how, how Nellie pulled this off. Of course. Well, the strategy for getting con- committed was entirely Nellie's invention. The world newspaper left it entirely to her. So she, using a fake name, Nellie Brown, and with 73 cents in her pocket, she checked into a female lodging house and proceeded to lose her mind. And her performance was so convincing that by one, but by nightfall, one of the women said, I'm scared to stay with such a crazy being. And her friend added, she'll murder us all before daybreak. And the next day, Nellie refused to leave the home. And so the police were called and she managed to trick the police, doctors and a judge into thinking she was insane. And they were all unanimous in their view that Blackwell's Island was the only place to send her. So it was frighteningly easy, you know, to to carry off this performance. Um, But at one point she thought, you know, maybe they're fooled because they can't conceive of a sane woman pretending to be, Mm. you know, insane. But one of the things she lobbied for was a more stringent examination of of patients before they went into the asylum. And this brings me on to another point, which is that she discovered that many of the women in the asylum weren't actually mad. They just refused to conform to the narrow standards of society. For example, you know, maybe they married without their parents' consent or they refused to get married or perhaps they couldn't get over the death of a loved one or they had postnatal depression or their husbands had simply tired of them. And the asylum was a convenient, socially convenient way of disposing with inconvenient women. And that was something that really shocked and appalled me and something that I've brought out in the story. You have, yes. Uh, disposing of inconvenient women. I, I also found that a bit shocking to read about some of the asylum residents who had not demonstrated any, in any meaningful yes. way yes. that they had a mental condition beyond traumatic uh, family experience, which Nellie, again, Nellie understood that because she had her own lived experience. And, you know, when she was on the way to um, ad- being admitted to this this facility, I guess I was surprised, maybe I shouldn't have been, but I was surprised at the number of 
members of the press who were monitoring uh, evaluations, they were monitoring trials, they were they were monitoring the process of who was going to the island. Uh, what did you learn about that? Because something, some there was a reporter who knew that this you know, young woman, Nellie, was on her way, and it led to her becoming part of a sensationalized story. Well, so what, one thing that interested me was that Nellie was very afraid of the press because she thought they're so sharp-witted and hungry for information that, you know, they might see through my cover where the doctors and the police failed. So she always hid from the press where she could. And I think also the, the fact that she was pretty and... You know, she she pretended to have lost her her mind, but she was pretty and well-spoken. And, you know, in this terrible plight, I think that caught the imagination of the press. I, I thought, I think they thought it would be a good story. This is actually true. That she was part of the story before she... Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. So, I mean, you know, there was much speculation in, in every other newspaper except the world about the identity of this unknown girl. I guess I always believed that the sensationalism that accompanied Nellie Bly uh, was part of the printed, the eventual printed stories that that came out. So this that is a new fact for me. And, and all the newspapers look pretty silly, you know, when it turned out to be a journalist pulling a stunt that made them look silly. So she spent approximately 10 days on the island, uh, not knowing um, what the exit strategy would be, only that Joseph Pulitzer and his team said, we will figure out how to get you out. Yes, uh, there, was, there was no guarantee about whether that would happen or when it would happen. So she was submerged in this experience that had no clear end date. He couldn't guarantee that they'd even get her out. When Nellie finally did um, uh, leave the island, uh, physically, even after 10 days, she was quite depleted. Um, Did you get a sense from your research um, how she had been treated and what what actually was her physical condition after those 10 days? Well, um, you know, from the research, she, she was treated badly and, you know, put in solitary and starved and all these terrible things happened to her. Um, but another thing that interested me was that when she wrote her own account in the newspapers and also in a book called 10 Days in a Madhouse, which, which I refer interested readers to, she wrote in this tone of plucky girl reporter whom nothing could faze. And that was what she wanted to convey as an author. But I thought surely the experience must have affected her mentally as well as physically. Especially, you know, given the resonances for her, you know, her, her own and her family's brushes with mental health and, and the sort of trauma she experienced at the hands of her stepfather, surely it must have affected her mentally. So that's one of the themes that I used the, the license of biographical fiction to explore. Nellie leaves uh, Blackwell Island. She is, um, she uh, spends a bit of time recovering and then writing up her accounts of the conditions in the asylum on Blackwell's Island. Um, what was the response 
the public response when these accounts were printed? Well, people were outraged and it made Nelly a celebrity, a fiery national presence. And a million dollars was given for the care of the mentally ill by the city authorities, which was an enormous sum in 1887. So, you know, Nellie's expose led to a huge improvement in the care of the mentally ill. So in in essence, it uh, these stories sparked a formal investigation. Yes, a formal inquiry on the back of which more money was given and, and, you know, conditions at the asylum were reformed. Blackwell's Island is, I think, how we define Nellie Bly. I mean, it, it, it was the start of her career and the start of uh, an incredible life. Um, I, I know that the reviews have been phenomenal for this book in its UK release. Um, what are some of the early readers sharing with you about uh, reading this book? Are they just like, wow, I didn't know about this person? There have been some quite powerful reviews. And, you know, a lot of people have said to others, you, you need to read this book. You need to know about this woman. And I think a few were quite harrowed by it because her time in the asylum was harrowing. But, but there's been a very enthusiastic and positive response, and I'm just so grateful. I'll remind listeners, my guest today is... Louisa Traeger, her third novel will be released in the United States. August, it is titled Mad Woman, and it is an account of the pioneering journalist Nellie Bly. And this is a, another example of meticulously researched historical fiction at its finest. And Louisa is a re- repeat guest on Real Fiction because we love her books here. Um, and I asked you this last time, Louisa, I'd love to know if you're able to, can you tell us something about what you're working on next? Well, thank you for your kind words. And I love being on this show. So thank you for having me. Um, yes, I am working on a new novel and it continues my theme of strong women. I'm writing about Dora Maar, who was Picasso's lover and muse. And for years, she was known as Picasso's weeping w- woman as if tears were her only significant Mm. attribute. But actually that epithet conceals a brilliant photographer and a very unconventional, strong and passionate woman. So I just thought the world needed to know more about her. And I've had a wonderful time researching and I'm currently writing. Louisa Traeger, thank you so much for spending time with us on Real Fiction today. The book is... Mad Woman, listeners, you need to go get this book. If you think you know Nellie Bly, there's so much more uh, in in this story. It is gorgeously written and um, very impactful for our time. Louisa, thank you for joining today. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. listening to Real Fiction. I'm Lori Messing-McGarry. Real Fiction Radio Program is a production of Real Fiction Media Group. All Real Fiction conversations are available wherever you get your podcasts and on realfictionradio.com, where you can learn more about today's guest. Thanks for listening.